The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawkbox. Let's get into your headlines. The Nasdaq returning to bull market territory after a softer than expected inflation report sparks a rally on Wall Street. But President Biden says more needs to be done. With the global challenges we face from the war in Europe, the disruption of supply chains and pandemic shutdowns uh, in Asia, we, uh, we could face additional headwinds in the months ahead. Our work is far from over. Treasury yields decline as investors eye a slower pace of rate hikes, but a trio of Fed officials maintain their outlooks for further interest rate rises this year. Disney shares sparkle and extends trade on strong subscriber numbers on Disney+, Plus, while it also announces a price hike for the streaming service. We've continued to invest handsomely in our content. We believe that we've got plenty of price value room left to go. SoftBank cuts its stake in Alibaba to 14.6%, raising around $34 billion in the process, while the Japanese conglomerate bidding to shore up its balance sheet. So very good morning, everybody. We're going to get into a conversation about the inflation number out of the United States overnight very shortly. But we should focus here on a lot of the European corporate news this morning. We've got a lot of companies that are reporting earnings, so it'll give us a good sense of how these businesses are managing the current inflationary pressures. Let's kick off with Siemens. The German engineering business has reported a net loss of 1.5 billion euros for the third quarter, but that is primarily due to a previously disclosed 2.7 billion euro impairment charge that the company is taking related to its stake in Siemens Energy. Now, orders and revenue jumped on the year led by order growth in its digital industries and smart infrastructure business. The company also reported free cash flow of 2.3 billion euros for the quarter. That is slightly higher than the same period last year. We're going to hear more from the CEO, Roland Bush. That's at 8 Central European time. U.S. inflation eased back from a four-decade high in July. The U.S. Consumer Price Index came in at 8.5% year-over-year. That is down from June's reading of 9.1% and a little cooler than forecast. On a monthly basis, price growth remained unchanged, having risen for more than two years. Well, President Joe Biden said the U.S. economy remains strong, given signs of a cooling off in inflation coupled with last week's red-hot jobs numbers. Economists look at a measure of inflation that ignores food and energy prices, and they call it core inflation. That's about the lowest amount in several years, several months. When you couple that with last week's booming jobs report of 528,000 jobs created last month and 3.5% unemployment, it underscores the kind of economy we've been building. We're seeing a stronger labor market where jobs are booming and Americans are working. And we're seeing some signs that inflation may be getting to moderate. The cooling in inflation was mainly due to a steep drop in energy and fuel prices in the United States. 
prices of the pump fell 7.7% on a monthly basis, with broad energy costs also falling down 4.6%. But consumers are still seeing rising prices right across other categories, including staples with food and housing costs both climbing. Despite the fall in energy costs, price increases in other areas may be enough to keep the Federal Reserve on its aggressive hiking path. Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari said the latest inflation figures shouldn't change the Fed's guidance and that he expects the benchmark rate to reach 3.9% this year. Charles Evans, his Chicago counterpart, said he expects the U.S. Central Bank to continue hiking until inflation declines towards its 2% target. Well, the San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly told the Financial Times a 50 basis point hike is now her baseline going into next month's meeting, but still warned it's far too early for the U.S. to, quote, declare victory over inflation. Let's take a look at that market reaction. A risk on was the state of play as investors again took stock of uh, some of the language from the speakers that we saw from the Fed, but also the data points and the softness that we saw coming through better than anticipated numbers to the downside. Really saw markets rally across, particularly on the tech sector. Don't forget, tech names have been challenged on the valuation side with this aggressive rate hiking path. And so what you saw unlocked a terrific rally for the NASDAQ, 2.9%. But much bigger gain in the FANG Plus stocks, a huge rally there, 4.3 plus percent. And the ARK Innovation Fund, those big momentum names in the tech sector, rallying 3.4 percent. So underlying the NASDAQ, you can see the performance across the course of the trade so far off 17 percent this year. But you can see during the trading session, 2.9 percent pop taking with it. The S&P 500, the rally of 2.1 percent and the Dow, a very strong build, more than 535 points to the upside as that market all also played ball in the rally. Now, what is ahead for the session? Well, I think a lot of investors looking very closely to see whether the CPI is also backed up by the PPI, the factory gate prices, a little more forward looking for the markets today. So that will be another key test for market sentiment. Treasuries, though, let's just take a quick look because we've seen a regrouping around this expectation now for a 50 basis point rate hike instead of 75 basis points. Investors just cooling some of those expectations for September. The two-year we approached at 3.21, the longer end 2.79 on Treasuries. So uh, effectively, uh, just a little bit of a pullback from uh, an early plunge as uh, investors really reassessed the Fed at this point. Let's take a look at what we're seeing on the dollar. The moves were about 1% stripped off uh, the dollar index, and you can see across on the major pairs and crosses this morning. Dollar is trying to claw back a little bit of territory. Sterling Euro, as a result, on the back foot, about a third down for Sterling, uh, just over a tenth off for the Euro trade. Dollar also managing to find a foothold again versus the Japanese yen, 133.15 the level, and versus the yuan stronger. So it is a dollar strength story this morning in contrast to the losing trade we saw in the greenback yesterday. A quick chat uh, elsewhere, a quick look elsewhere, you can see uh, that uh, a lot of market moving trades have gone on the last 24 hours. And I think that is instrumental, Jeff, as we take a look now. What comes next? And the language was interesting. I mean, if we look at what uh, Kashkari was saying, he is a noted hawk. He is still very much on track, doesn't think the data changed anything effectively yesterday. But I think the market believes that we've now got that peak inflation number that they were looking for. Uh, it was interesting, wasn't it, yesterday, watching all asset classes as they reacted to the data as it came through. And we got some, uh, some, some immediate, um, I think, um, knee-jerk price movements 
gold had a little bit of a spike, yields came down, um, the dollar lost some of its momentum and so on and so forth. And then those Fed speakers came out and then we saw a reversal of some of that immediate knee-jerk trade there. And for me, it looked like there was a, a sort of arc of acceptance. At the beginning, everybody got really excited about the fact that it was only 8.5% with a core uh, above 5%. And then they went, hang on a second, it's still 8.5%. And I think that that then began to weigh on behaviour within the market. So obviously too soon for the victory lap here. Mm. But I think for market participants, there is one thing that you cannot ignore. As much as everybody wants to keep calling this a bear market rally, implying that we're going to have a big decline when everybody comes to their senses and recognises that the drivers for this market are gradually being pulled away or are falling away naturally. The trouble is, if you're not participating at the moment, you are missing out on what has been a spate a very strong days of performance and nowhere more so than in the Nasdaq at the moment. And the problem um, with the Nasdaq is, you know, everybody thought the bull was dead. Well, it's certainly sick, but it does appear to be on life support at the moment. And there is a pulse and people have gone back into it mm. because they've seen those beaten up valuations and investors have become more discerning. So when you look at that near 3% pop in the Nasdaq, you get the sense that there were a lot of people out there just itching to get back in to some of these technology stocks that have effectively been beaten down along with all of those technology stocks that quite frankly may not have the business model to survive long term. I know it sounds really obvious to say this, the trouble with financial markets is that you always have to look forward and as much as we've got excited about this print today the real issue now is what we get in August and whether that alters the path for September and the so-called 75 basis points which already now appears to be morphing into 50 basis points. I think it's pretty fair to say we could have some bumpy more bumpy numbers to come still we may not be through the worst of it in terms of some of the data points so we can chart all sorts of timelines here and I think one of the issues for the market is they've been looking at just how aggressive that rate hike scenario is going to be so just how high up do they take the curve before we start to see some sort of retreat and the timing has been incredibly difficult to, to work out and if the language from the Fed about some sort of U-turn by next year where there's a rate-cutting cycle that's very difficult to see at this point because of the sustained increases we've still seen, the fact that we're so far off 2% on inflation. The other point on markets here and the opportunity, I mean, if you look at what growth names have been doing, there's been some commentary from Data Trek overnight saying, look, it's overshot. You've seen a statistical unusual amount of the last 50 days in terms of growth stocks. And perhaps in this scenario, it's time for value to catch up. Typically, it can be the playbook where you see value start to, to march along with growth. So it does beg the question, have we gone too far on the growth trade now because there's been this overshoot necessarily on markets? And we've seen it to the downside. There's been an overshoot in some directions. The bounce back has also been an overshoot. So perhaps just a warning for investors to be wary about some of the trades at this stage. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll come back. We'll talk some more about that. We've got to move on. As I say, there's a lot of interesting corporate news out there for us this morning. So let's get into the NN Group, the company delivering a net profit line for the first half, uh, a little over 2 billion euros here. The first half operating profit coming in at 983 million euros. The expectation was for 961.6 
million. The uh, group value of new business, 254 million. That is up 5% here. The um, group says it is on track to meet financial and other targets. Let's catch up with the company. Uh, the CEO, David Nibb, joins us now. Uh, David, good to see you this morning. How do you feel about the numbers? Yes, good morning. Uh, yeah, clearly, as, as uh, you already laid out, we had a strong uh, business results in the past six months. Uh, our operating capital generation, which is the key target that we uh, we aim for, uh, went up 15% to 899 million. Uh, we set a target of 1.5 billion for, for 2023. So we're clearly very well on track to uh, to deliver that. And uh, some of it was also supported by higher rates, but I was particularly pleased also to see that the new business is growing. You already mentioned that our, our value of new business is up 5%. Uh, Netherlands did uh, did very well, but also the European markets and Japan have been very resilient in not an easy uh, in not an easy time. So overall, yeah, these are strong results, and and we're well on track to get to the targets that we set for uh, for next year. Karen and I, uh, as you heard, were just discussing the uh, inflation numbers in the United States, and obviously the focus everywhere at the moment is what the impact of inflation is going to be on household incomes and overall demand in the economy and ultimately whether central banks are going to react by suppressing that demand further with higher interest rate increases. How much does that affect your view of the likely performance through the second half and into the early part of next year? How are you baking that into your modelling? Right. So for inflation itself by itself is very manageable for us. Eh? We have uh, the, the inflation that uh, that exposure that we have on our balance sheet is, is, is very well hedged with inflation linked bonds or, or swaps. And so there is some upward pressure from uh, from expenses, obviously. About 50% of our PNC portfolio is sensitive to inflation. We haven't really seen it, to be honest. We have already started to reprice and will continue to, to reprice to anticipate some of the inflation that, that no doubt will, uh, will come. On the disability side, we took an extra reserving of around 25 million. So we're very well prepared, for, I think, for the, uh, for the upcoming inflation. I think the biggest concern is, is actually going into the fall and next year is that a lot of the markets that we operate in have a 15% inflation. If, if you see Central and East in Europe, there's around 15% inflation. And clearly, salaries are not keeping up. And that means families will have less purchasing power. They will have less to spend. And I think we'll, as for the base case, is more of a recession. So on the one hand, that will put some pressure on our new business and on our portfolios. But we've seen also in the COVID times that if, if um, you know, new business is low and, and economy slow down, that the business model can very well uh, sustain that. And to be honest, also, the higher rates also supports our, uh, our investment results. So overall, that's why we're still uh, very uh, uh, optimistic that we will achieve our targets. The solvency to ratio movement to the downside, you mentioned that this was due to some of the market volatility. In particular, you pointed to the widening of Dutch mortgage spreads and also uh, the lower equity markets. Do you think we're through the worst of it when it comes to some of the volatility we've witnessed on these asset classes? Well, I think we're, our base case is that we'll continue to see a lot of volatility. We've always maintained a very high solvency ratio because we knew that this type of volatility could uh, could happen. So the, the 196 ratio that you mentioned is, is very much in line with the uh, with with the rest of the uh, with the industry. We we assume that volatility will continue to uh, to be there also in the fall, not just on inflation, but also with a potential economic downturn that is coming. Uh, but we're very well prepared for that. And and the reality is also that though higher rates and 
because volatility puts some, on the one hand some pressure on our solvency two ratio, the capital generation actually also goes up. And, and this is also why you have seen that our, our capital generation went up 15%. And that obviously over time also adds again to our, uh, to our solvency. David, can I ask you about the mortgage portfolio? I can see there's 4.9 billion euros of new mortgages in the first half of this year. How does this compare to other cycles we've seen before in terms of the new business you're expecting to write in mortgages, but also just how conservative you feel like you need to be at this point, given credit quality has been fairly strong across Europe in recent months and years, in fact? Yes. Well, the, the, the quality of the Dutch mortgage book has always been very high. Eh? The loan-to-value has, has come down to 55%. We see actual losses has always been below one basis point, and, and spreads have significantly been widening. So uh, currently they're well above 200 basis points. So that means that, that the mortgages that we've been writing, the 4.9 billion, have been at a very attractive margin from a, from a risk-return perspective. Going forward, we do expect a slowdown of the mortgage market. There has been a lot of refinancing because of uh, the lower interest rates. Uh, that obviously is uh, that pattern is changing, and and there's also a relatively shortage of houses in the Netherlands. So the amount of transactions that uh, is expected to go down, and therefore I also expect a uh, a slowdown of the uh, of the Dutch mortgage market, not because of the quality, but simply because of the lack of transactions uh, or the lack of houses that uh, that we currently have in the Dutch market. David, let me squeeze in a quick ESG question because I can see that if you've invested more money in climate solutions uh, targeting for 2030, 6 billion euros, the additional amount that's slated. There's been a big debate as to whether climate change goals have been pushed out to an extent because we've got a war in Ukraine, energy security front and centre with this energy crisis playing out. Are you witnessing any slippage as you're also committing more money at this point? Well, it, it's definitely a concern. I mean, the, the, uh, one of the, the big targets that we have is, is reducing the, uh, the coal. So, so we all like electricity, of course, but if it's generated by coal, then net-net, that is still a, a, a real problem in terms of, of carbon footprint. And, and because of everything that's happening with the UK, there is, of course, a tendency now that uh, more coal has to be used, which is understandable. At the same time, this is a concern from the, from the perspective of, uh, of the carbon reduction that we need to do. So as a company, we set not only targets for Paris, but we also set targets for 2025 and 2030 to reduce our carbon footprint uh, of our investment portfolio with 25% already in, in 2025 and, 30, uh, and in 2030 with 45%. So clearly there's a big challenge, and this is also why we're stepping our, uh, up our investments. We want to invest in the, in the front runners, but also we step up our investments in, in climate solutions because we, some of this that is currently happening is understandable but it has to be offset by alternative ways of, of energy and that's why we're stepping up our, uh, our investment in that area. Good to see you David, thanks for joining us at this hour. David Nib, the CEO of NN Group on the company's first half numbers. Still to come, Bill Finger confirming its outlook for the year on the back of a 9% rise in organic revenue. The CEO Thomas Schultz will be up very shortly, that is a first on CNBC. And for more on the economic outlook facing the Fed after the weaker than expected inflation print, you can check out the Scorebox podcast.
Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. Russian oil regime flows to Central Europe on Wednesday after Hungarian Group Mol settled transit fees owed to Ukraine. The critical supply route stopped pumping oil six days ago after Russian state-owned pipeline operator Transneft said it was unable to pay transit fees to Kyiv because of sanctions on Russia. Mol said oil had reached Slovakia and should reach Hungary on Thursday. So let's focus on numbers from Billfinger. The German industrial services provider has reported a 9% rise in organic revenue for the quarter led by 1.1 billion euros in new orders. The company confirming its outlook for the year, citing continued positive momentum across all segments of the business. Thomas Schultz is with us, the CEO of Billfinger. Thomas, good morning to you and welcome to the program. Headline numbers um, obviously looking strong here. I'm, I'm interested, though, in the engineering and maintenance um, international segment where you did talk about lower organic business. Could you tell us a little bit more about maybe the challenges across the various business units at the moment? Yeah, good morning, everybody. And uh, you are right. We had really a solid uh, performance in the quarter two, actually, over all businesses. If it comes to the international business to start with, it's actually more a timing issue than anything else we have and we see not only internationally we see in europe we see in the technologies quite a positive segment mom momentum not only in new builds for new technologies especially in the area to help customers to upgrade and to get more energy and cost efficient very interesting that we've had this pivot on oil and gas and carbon related fuels for many years, I think we've talked to you at Billfinger about how you transition away from that particular segment of the energy mix. But given the demands that we have now as a result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, it seems everybody wants as much oil and gas as they can get their hands on. What do you think that implies for your business opportunity over the next six to 12 months? Actually, it's a positive outlook and it's a positive outlook in two areas. At first, in so-called upgrading brownfield investments, because the investments, especially in Europe, were lagging behind over the last few years based, as you rightly said, less interest in oil and gas. But the other part is to help our clients to get more efficient on their side. What does it mean with efficiency? I think sometimes it appears too simple to switch from one gas supplier to another one, the same as with oil. If you get different resources, you have to adopt your existing infrastructure. And that is a big part of our business, too. Thomas, one of the things that, that is um, getting harder, though, I think, for all companies is costs. And interestingly, I think your UK operation in the North Sea is now having to negotiate with the unions about the energy services agreement. And, and having been outside of it for a long time, you are now 
coming into the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the big tent, as it were. But obviously that means that your labour costs are going to have to go up. Could you tell us a bit about the cost input side of the business and how that is expected to change over the next six to 12 months? Yeah, as you know, we have two areas uh, where cost inflation is coming in. One is, of course, in the material supply. That is where we are not very much exposed to. And of course, the wages. And the wage increase is actually from country to country different. We have quite big differences in Europe and, of course, worldwide. The important part is, and that is what we have, that you have with your customers so-called price escalation clauses, where if inflation hits, that you can forward these cost increases towards the customers. But more important is what hits us is actually towards the industry and our clients, because the inflation hits them significantly harder and tougher. So it's important that we are able to offer them to have cost reductions and to make things more efficient. And if I may say so, this, what was said before with oil and gas, I would like to extend and expand a little bit on that. What the industry needs is a higher efficiency and a higher level of sustainability. And that is where we as building up play quite well already. And we are targeting to be the number one in that area in the markets where we operate. Thomas, we have seen this huge concern around energy security as supply is turned off and many uh, different nations trying to find further sources of energy. Are you seeing any evidence at this point that there's a sort of stepped up program or accelerated need to provide more of those energy solutions at this stage? Is there pressure to bring forward those projects? Yes, actually we do. And we do it all over. And actually it is by country to country a little bit different. But I take one big example. You all know district heating systems. The city of Munich actually invented district cooling system. And a district cooling system is up to 70% less energy consuming and up to 70% less CO2 producing. I think that's one of the examples of the great ideas, what you can realize. But we should not forget, we have an existing infrastructure in oil and gas, in energy, in energy infrastructure. And that has to get more cost efficient and more energy efficient too. It is not enough to think about to switch on permanently new technologies. We have to deal with that what we have. And nuclear power is one of it. And Thomas, can I ask you about the credit environment? Because we've seen the move by central banks globally to tighten credit conditions. Is that having any impact on your segment? No, it has uh, actually not, because at the moment, the customers are looking into when the full inflation hit will hit them and what they are doing about to get their cost based under control. And the cost based under control is not only the normal OPEX cost, it's actually to make it more sustainable, too. As you know, with the EU taxonomy, things are coming up for them, too. So our clients are looking into the short term cost improvement and the long-term more sustainable setup, which is actually nothing else than having a better efficiency. And energy efficiency is very high on the list. And I'm not talking here about complete change of setups. It starts with isolation, with better education of the people, with better management of the energy resource to get more flexible. All areas, by the way, where we can support quite a lot. Thomas, um, let me pick up that thread you dropped on nuclear, because I think it is fascinating at the moment what we're seeing emerge in Europe now. I I have a two-pronged question for you. The first is, what do you think the new opportunity is now 
in nuclear as a result of this drive for energy independence away from Russia? And two, do you think the German nuclear plants should continue running from here on in? And was that was that uh, desire to shut down that industry um, always a mistake? At first, we see definitely a revival in Europe, too, of the nuclear power. And when you, as an engineer, as I am, looking into the climate change requests, what we have out of the Paris Agreement, nuclear power can play a very positive role in that. I actually don't see a possibility to achieve it without it. If we then come to Germany, um, yeah, my private opinion is, of course, that nuclear power would help a lot, not only in the short term to sort out the energy problems. More important is, of course, as the CEO of Billfinger, to look into it. We are actually adding a lot of value into new builds like Hinkley Point in the UK. And we add a new or we add quite a lot of competence into rebuilds and upgrades and actually in demobilization of nuclear waste and nuclear power plants like the Assam mine site in Germany. All that is good business for us, but nuclear power is a very sustainable industry and a very sustainable energy resource. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.